Welcome to the Faith Lakeside Podcast. Each week you'll hear another great message that will help you know God and make Him known in your life. Join us each Sunday at 1045 a.m. and throughout the week in small groups to make the most of your learning experiences. Now, sit back, relax with a great cup of coffee and a notebook and enjoy this week's message. Of course, we do all of this. We clean bathrooms. We invite folks. We smash things. We show movies. We share our faith with people in our community that we might know God and make him known. Our whole goal is to be in a greater growing relationship with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and to make him known in the world around us. And so... That's why we're really focusing in this, this autumn preaching series and talking about how to be a Christian. Really living the full life that you were saved for. We are not saved by, by Jesus to just attend church every once in a while, have a good meal, pray over it sometimes, be good people. But there is more to the Christian life. There is a great depth to this Christian life. And it begins with answering the question, what exactly is a Christian? And we talked about that a few weeks ago. And a Christian is a disciple. And a disciple is a follower. uh, Someone who has fully submitted their whole life to Jesus. When we read in the New Testament, when we look at those first 12 disciples and then those in the crowd who followed with them, they were people who were willing to give up everything in order to follow Jesus. And they ate with him and they drank with him and they talked with him and they listened to his teaching and they wanted to be just like him. And that's what it means to be a disciple. We have made mistakes in modern Christianity and come to the point where we think we can believe on Jesus as our savior, but kind of hold back and not be a disciple till we're really ready. But biblically, we must be disciples if we call ourselves Christians. And we must be willing to give all that we are. And because we want to follow after him and learn from him as our master, we are to be learners. We should be ever increasing in our knowledge of his teachings and living out this Christian life. We also should be at a place in our lives where we put Jesus first in everything. And we talked about why. It is because Jesus is Lord. We don't make him the Lord of our life. He is the Lord. And we simply come to a place where we recognize it and submit ourselves to his lordship. We, we don't put him on the throne. He is on the throne ruling now. Will you bow before him today or on the day of judgment? And I would hope that we would choose to follow him as Lord today. And then as we follow him, learning from him, submitting ourselves to him as the king of our life, we are committed to a life of pure and taking steps to separate ourselves from sin. That we recognize that sin is an ever-present situation and thing in our lives that we're going to have to address on a daily basis and daily choose to take off our old way of life, change the way we think about things, and put on Christ-likeness and pure life. And then the thing that we're going to talk about today is this. The Christian has regular devotional time and is developing in their prayer life. 
that everyone who names the name of Jesus Christ, who is following after him as their Lord and Savior, should have a regular devotional time, a time where you spend time learning and growing and reading your Bible and spend time in worship, and also an ever-developing prayer life where you learn how to pray more and more. And conversations with your Lord in prayer become something that is an everyday, every moment of everyday occurrence for you instead of a maybe twice a day over the meal when you remember kind of thing. Or now I lay me down to sleep, Lord, I pray my soul to keep, soul to keep don't let me die. Right? That kind of thing. We, we want a developing and a rich prayer life as Christians. And you might think, well, Michael, that just sounds like legalism. That just sounds like you're giving us rules that we have to follow to be the kind of Christian that you want us to be. And I am going to counter with no. That's not true. That as we develop in our devotional life and in our prayer life, we are actually following after Jesus as disciples. This is what it means to be a disciple, to spend time in his teachings and to be praying like he did. So I'm going to show you. First, let's understand something about Jesus. In the, the three years of his ministry that we have recorded in the Gospels, it tells us that he went from place to place and he taught. That was his ministry. Those three years from the day that he was baptized and the Holy Spirit came on him like a dove and the voice from the clouds rang out, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. That, that from that day to the day that he died, literally on the cross, Jesus taught. He spent time instructing the men and women who followed after him on a regular basis and then huge crowds as well teaching the truth of God's kingdom. And, and so we can see in Matthew chapter 5, if you were to open up, you see what is one of the most amazing sermons. And we call it the Sermon on the Mount. And you might wonder why. You're like, why do you call it the Sermon on the Mount? And because it is a sermon on a mount. Uh, on a, not a horse, but a mountain. And that's, that's what it starts. Matthew chapter 5, the beginning of the Sermon on the Mountain. It says this, When he saw the crowds, he being Jesus, he went up on the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to the, him. Then he began to teach them, saying... And we maybe think this is some sort of like big uh, gathering that Jesus, you know, he planned from event to event. But we need to understand something about this life that Jesus and the, the closest of his disciples led. That he would have been constantly teaching them. He would have been constantly showing them how to live life as he created them and would ultimately save them to live when he died for them on the cross. Uh, if you've had children, you know what this is like. If you've been around children, you've ever taught Sunday school, you know what this is like. They are with you constantly, and you are always teaching. Always. There is never a moment when you have children around you where you are not teaching them. Never a moment. Now, sometimes you teach them wonderful, beautiful lessons about how to enjoy life and honor God. And sometimes you are the worst teacher in the world. I mean, just no holds barred. If there is someone in your life that is following you, looking up to you, you are teaching them. And you know what it is. You don't have to sit down and say, all right, now I'm going to teach you a lesson. 
But instead, they watch, they listen, they copy. Uh, There's nothing funnier or more horrific than a toddler who uses their first curse word, right? I mean, you you know they learned it somewhere. It's like, oh no. But you, 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 you understand, they learned it somewhere. That didn't just come out of the ether, did it? There's always, well, usually a grandpa somewhere that taught it to them right and and they got to hang out with grandpa and he taught them their first word and they used it so eloquently in the middle of church or in sunday school or at dinner with 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 another grandparent said and it's just it's one of those things it happens right we're constantly teaching and that's how jesus taught the disciples when he walked day to day it wasn't big events all the time but it was always teaching and learning when we look at first century, uh, the, the, the role of a first century rabbi, he would have gathered his disciples. They would have lived with him. They would have watched his everyday life. They would have watched how he held his, his utensils and how he lit a candle and how he uh, dressed and, and, and tried to copy him in every way. And Jesus was always teaching. Mark tells us in chapter 10, verse 1, he set out from there and went to the region of Judea and across the Jordan. Then crowds converged on him again, and as was his custom, he taught them again. We can see that Jesus constantly was teaching the disciples. Can you imagine being in first century uh, Israel and, and being able to walk? And, you know, you're your sandals that are a little thin on a dusty road and 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 going someplace where maybe you're uncomfortable and you got to get past some bandits but you can physically go and hear jesus teach doesn't that sound good it's it's amazing Uh, we can just picture this and we can be like oh i wish i could have been there i wish i could have been at the sermon on the mount i wish i could have heard him say these words wouldn't it have been cool to be in the upper room the night he he instituted the lord's table wouldn't it have been so cool to be there in all of these moments i mean but i can't can i and i can't learn from him like they did and, and that might be the question that you ask me is, well, if we can't sit at Jesus' feet, where do we go for this learning experience? Where do we go for instruction? Now, some, some people might say, well, I like to go to the woods and fish. Or, I, you know, I like to go out. No, listen, there's a, there's a place where we can find his clear teachings recorded for us. And it's not a hard question when you think about it, is it? We know exactly where God's word is. We know exactly where we can sit at the feet of Jesus and receive his instruction. Where he tells us what to do in nearly every circumstance of life. Now you might struggle and say, well, it doesn't tell me how to change my oil. No, it doesn't because I didn't have cars. But it does tell you what kind of attitude to have when you bust your knuckle changing your oil. It does tell you how to care for what you've been blessed with. That that God's word is rich. And so the instruction that Jesus offers to us is not one where we get to sit at his feet, sadly. But it is one where we can open up his word on a daily basis and listen and read and see him teach us in ways that are fresh and vibrant and meaningful. And this is why it's so important for you and I to have a regular devotional life. If the disciples who were following Jesus while he walked this earth got to sit down and listen to him teach every day, 
And, and, and if that's critical to their development as disciples, and these are the, the men and women who went out and started churches in, in places we could only dream of and, and faced persecution and trials and tribulation, and they did it with strength and with dedication, don't we want to be like them? And how do we do that? Well, we have to come to the feet of Jesus too. And the place that we come to, to sit at his feet, to be instructed on a daily basis is to his word. And so you and I, we need to develop regular practices of coming to the word of God and sitting at the feet of Jesus and learning from our master. Psalm 19, verses 7 through 11. Psalm 19. If you were to flip over there or scroll there in your Bible app, it should be in there as well. But here's what Psalm 19 says. The instruction of the Lord is perfect, renewing one's life. The testimony of the Lord is trustworthy, making the inexperienced wise. The precepts of the Lord are right, making the heart glad. The command of the Lord is radiant, making the eyes light up. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances or the the standards of the Lord are reliable and altogether righteous. They are more desirable than gold, than an abundance of pure gold, and sweeter than honey dripping from a honeycomb. In addition, your servant is warned by them, and in keeping them, there is an abundant reward. The the psalmist here, uh, we believe it was David who wrote this psalm. He he tells us that, that God's word is this thing that we get to come to, this place where we get to sit at the feet of our master and learn. And we learn in such a way that our hearts can be glad, our eyes can light up, we can find trustworthiness, we can we can be wise even as we're inexperienced. How many of us need a little bit of extra wisdom in dealing with the world in front of us? Uh, You know, you talk about Israel and you watch the things that are going on in other places and you just wonder, God, how are we supposed to live in such a time? And I got to tell you, if all you do is sit on your backside and go, God, how, why? You won't find any answers. But when you crack open the word of God on a regular basis, you find wisdom for those of us who are inexperienced and living through these trying times for the first time. We see in God's word something that is so beautiful and rich. It is a a, a fellowship with the the God of creation. And yet too many of us treat a, a time with God as something that can be skipped over. Something that can be ignored. Something that we can do when we feel like it or not. And I got to tell you, that's not how a relationship works. And it's especially not how a servant, a disciple should respond to their master or rabbi. That when he says, come to me and learn, our response should be when and where. And his word is so clear that it is a regular practice. In Elsewhere in the Psalms, we find David and others extolling the virtue of rising up early in the morning and coming to God on a regular basis, meditating on his word, listening to his ways. And yet we treat the very teachings of our Savior Jesus Christ as recorded in this book from Genesis to Revelation as being less than or uninteresting. And we've got to come to a place where we hunger and thirst and want to sit at his feet and learn. That's why when you preach with your hands, you shouldn't have things near you. Um, 
elsewhere. Psalm 119. Some of you guys are probably familiar with this. Uh, uh, Psalm 119.25. My life is down in the dust. Give me life through your word. The word of God is what gives you life and, and, and gives you hope. If you feel down in the dust, that's not the time to ignore your quiet time, your devotions, your, your time with God. You're busy and stressed. That's not the time to ignore God's word. That is the time to dig in all the more deeply and seek his counsel and sit at the feet of your Savior and try and learn what he would teach you. Psalm 119, 105, your word is a lamp for my feet and a light for my path. Those of us who were in the church in the 80s, you know, we know this one. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto... Okay, Shelly got me back. But none of you guys, all you guys didn't grow up in the church in the 80s, huh? Well, it's all right. God still loves you. Um, but, but, but we see God's word. It's a lamp to our feet, a light to our path. It illuminates our way. You want to know how important light is? Get up in a strange home in the middle of the night and try and walk through the living room to get to the bathroom, right? I mean, you, your, your toes will never be the same. Uh, light is so critical in how we move forward. And if God's word is light, why do we insist on walking through this life in darkness? Why do we insist on ignoring the teaching of our Savior and, and finding ourselves too busy to come and sit and learn from him? Uh, Psalm, uh, or excuse me, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. It, it gives us a picture for how much of Scripture is usable in our life. How much of Scripture is, is the Word of God? How much of Scripture is something that we can apply? And here is what Paul writes to the young pastor Timothy in this book that we determined to be Scripture. It says, All Scripture is inspired by God. And is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness. So that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Now ladies, it also applies to you, the word of God. And you can be complete, equipped for every good work. So we ask, how much of scripture is valuable to us? All of it. How much can teach us how to live and walk in Christ-likeness? All of it. How much of it is something that we should find encouragement and life in? All of it. And, and just, I'm going to blow your mind here. This was written at a time when Paul, speaking of the scriptures specifically, he's talking about the Old Testament. How many of you, when you crack open the Old Testament, it's like, oh, this is just dead people and weird stories. How does this apply to me? It does because it shows you the glory of your God, the need of your Savior, how you, just like everybody else in that Old Testament, you need him, that the rules can't save you. All scripture is inspired by God. That, that word in the, in the Greek is, is actually uh, breathed out by God. And so that all scripture is breathed out by God. And we see when God breathes into something, God breathes on something, it's always a picture of life and his very power being given into that thing or being. When, when God shaped uh, Adam from the dust of the earth, you know what he did, right? He got down and it says he breathed life into him. Before Jesus leaves and, and, and ascends back into heaven, do you know what he does for the disciples? He breathes on them. And you might think, that's gross. But it's a picture of the Holy Spirit coming upon them. And they're going to be overwhelmed by the power and the breath of God himself. 
And that's what scripture is for us. It is the, the, the breathed on text of God that gives us life and hope. And so to neglect it is to neglect the very offering of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit for life and wisdom and direction. And so I want to encourage you that you start looking at, at all of the Bible all of it from Genesis to Revelation as something that you should hunger for, something that you need to learn how to appreciate. Now, this is not something that just happens. You can't just go. Bringing them before the chief magistrates, they said, these men are seriously disturbing our city. They are Jews. That means all Jews disturb cities. We shouldn't like Jews, right? Oh, wait. Uh, that's dangerous. That's not how we read scripture. What we do is we must read scripture appropriately. We're going to talk about that in the coming weeks, especially next week. We're going to focus more on scripture, but you have got to want to read scripture. And the reason you should want it is because this is the very teaching of your savior. You want to sit down at the feet of Jesus, crack open your Bible that's how we sit at his feet and learn. We don't have the privilege like those early disciples had to do it physically, but we do have the privilege of doing it through his word. And then one, one thing that Jesus taught that we should do is, is prayer. Jesus actually in Matthew 6 verses 5, 6, and 7, an, an excerpt from the Sermon on the Mount, he says three different times, when you pray. Now, if he says, when you pray, what do you think he's implying? You should be praying. He doesn't say, if you pray, or just in case you decide it's worthwhile to pray. He says, when you pray. And he makes it clear that prayer should be a regular practice in our lives. Mark chapter 1, verse 35, Jesus didn't just teach it. He modeled it for us as well. It says this, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he got up, went out, and made his way to a deserted place, and there he was praying. That over and over again, we see Jesus withdrawing to quiet places, removing himself, and spending time in prayer. Too often, prayer becomes the thing that we do just so we don't choke on our meals, Right or I, I, liter I literally I dated a girl in college. It wasn't Shelly. I dated a girl in college who thought if we didn't pray before we ate, there was a good chance we'd choke and die. I, yeah, she wasn't the brightest bulb, but but she was pretty, and I was a freshman. Right. So, um, uh, but then I grew up and and found a real woman. Uh, so anyway, all, all that to say, it's it's not to avoid punishment. It's not to keep from choking. It's not so we make God happy. You know, rub a dub dub. Thanks for the grub. Or now I lay me down to sleep. Or whatever the prayer that you just repeat out of rote recitation in order to feel like you're doing your duty. But prayer is this recharging, this connecting with your Savior and by speaking to him and allowing his presence by the power of the Holy Spirit to overwhelm you and comfort you and give you life. And so we read God's word to hear the teaching of Jesus and we pray and spend time alone in order to feel the comforting touch of our Savior. 
And, and these should be critical parts of our life. So Jesus, it says, he often withdrew to deserted places and prayed. As, as Baptists, we often withdraw to deserted, like with cake and pie. And, 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 and maybe we pray, but more often we're just eating. But, but part of our life, part of our, our, our growth as disciples is to learn how to set a ta- apart time and places in order to pray. Because if, if, if nothing else, we should say Jesus prayed. And if Jesus prayed... If Jesus, the very Son of God incarnate, found prayer to be a necessary part of his life, how much more should it be a part of our life as we follow after him, as we are his disciples? Now, in John chapter 13, Jesus had just washed the disciples' feet, and he says to them, you call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. As I have washed your feet, so you should wash the feet of one another, for I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done. This verse is, this passage is specifically about washing feet, and we can talk about that icky practice some other time. Um, It's about serving one another. We will actually talk about that in the future. But the the thing I want you to get here is when Jesus models something, what should we do with it? Do it. Jesus models a regular, consistent, spending time alone prayer life to us. And if our Savior models it to us, we should do it. Now, why is that? Because he is our teacher and our Lord. And if our teacher and our Lord does it, it is worth doing. And so beginning to have a prayer life is, is critically important. And if Jesus prayed, then we should realize that prayer should be an ever-increasing part of our lives. Ever-increasing. Now, I, I say ever-increasing. It's like a relationship. When you start out in a, in a friendship, maybe you hang out once or twice a month. You get to know somebody. You play a couple games. You maybe go out for some food. But as that relationship, that friendship develops, and you find out that you're on a track to be best friends, what begins to happen? You, you, you share more, don't you? You, you spend more time together. Uh, I, I know of people, I am not one of these, but they text friends all the time. Like all the time, just constantly in communication with friends uh, to, to share the most unique of nothingnesses, right? I, I mean, that's just, and, and, and like, I just saw a do-do-do-do. And, and it's like, really? Why does that even matter? Why are you sharing that? Uh, but that's what friendship is for some in fact, for many people. In fact, it's what it should be for us in our, say, our relationship with Jesus. That there's this constant, ever-increasing connectedness to our Savior through the practice of prayer. Psalm 63, if you have your Bible, you can flip over there. Psalm 63, it also should be in the Bible app. Psalm 63 is just a picture of our need for prayer and and the practice of prayer. and, And what our attitude should be like as we are praying. Psalm 63, verses 1 through 8. God, you are my God. I eagerly seek you. This relationship with God, where we, it's not just, okay, God, I, I do what you tell me to do and what I have to do because, you know, I want to keep you happy and I don't want you to abandon me or take away my salvation. 
But we, we get this beautiful picture painted by, by David in the very beginning. God, you are my God. I eagerly seek after you. How many of us, if we were being honest, would say that we eagerly seek after God in our relationship with him? That we, we, we long to be with him in times of devotion and prayer. I remember when Shelly and I were dating in college um, at Liberty, we had phones in the room, one phone per room, four roommates. Uh, that was always interesting. But Shelly and I were dating. It was early in our dating. And the phones shut off at midnight at Liberty. You, you could stay on a call, but you couldn't make a call after midnight. So we would call one another and we would start talking and then we would just keep talking. And the phones should, would have shut off. We couldn't have made the, a call. But because we were still on the call, we would spend hours just talking. Or, or was that the other girl? No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah, I only had one girl that actually chased me and loved me uh, enough to want to marry me. But, 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 but we, we would talk for hours and, and it, we, we, we so didn't want to be apart, right? It was that eagerly seeking time with one another that we'd, we'd lay in bed and annoy our roommates or sit in the closet and, you know, and put a towel over our heads and, you know, just to keep the roommates from being grumpy at us. Uh, and, and we would, we would just feign to hang up. It was the most terrible thing in the world to have to finally realize you were so tired and you needed to hang up. Because you, you knew you couldn't call back and you wouldn't see him until like 8 o'clock the next morning. Oh my goodness. How, how do you survive separated from someone like that? How many of us, we, this, David paints this picture of, of desiring God like that. Of, of, of waking up and saying, I, I just want to spend time with you. I want to I I be around you. I eagerly seek you out. I thirst for you. My body faints for you in a land that is dry, desolate, and without water. We, we tend to go days and days without thinking about, praying to, or reading the word of God. We can go long stretches of life and never seek his face. And David says... I want to be in a place and I want to walk with you in such a way that, that I'm like a man thirsting for water in a desert. I crave you so much that I can't get away from my need for you. And this is, this is possible for all of us. This is the, the, the goal for all of us is to see our relationship with God as being so critical, so necessary, so unable to abandon or leave behind because it is so important to us that we will seek him out all the time. So I gaze on you in the sanctuary to see your strength and your glory. My lips will glorify you because your faithful love is better than life. David says that the love of God for me is better than life itself. I would give up everything I have and am in order to feel and be present in the love of God. And that doesn't come from a flippant faith. That doesn't come from living in a Christianity where you're just jumping through the hoops and doing the things. It comes from... Spending time in God's word and, and seeking the teachings of your master and then setting apart time for prayer 
where even if you don't know what to say, you still spend that time there. Even if you're just talking about nothing. Oh, Jesus, did you see that TikTok? That you spend time with him. That you, you are consumed with your relationship. Now, of course, we need to go to work. We got to eat. We got to sleep. I'm not saying that you abandon all reason, but I am saying that he becomes the reason for all. And you practice regular Bible reading and prayer in order to do that. Verse 4 I will bless you as long as I live. At your name, I will lift up my hands. You satisfy me as with rich food. My mouth will praise you with joyful lips. When I think of you as I lie on my bed, I meditate on you during the night watches because you are my helper. I will rejoice in the shadow of your wings. I follow close to you. Your right hand holds on to me. Man, what a beautiful picture of intimacy with God. And it's all centered not on a, a once a week coming to church or a, 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 a quick paying homage to Jesus just before you eat but on an earnest seeking after him in studying and reading his word and spending time in prayer. Now, I don't want you guys to think that I am perfect in this. I, I am the worst some days when it comes to ADHD stuff. It's like I can be like all in for 30 seconds and then the dog barks and I'm run off and got to go take care of something, right? And this is why when I talk about devotions, when I talk about prayer, it's not tomorrow all of us should do an hour and a half in God's word and then pray for an hour or two or four if we're really spiritual. No, but it is, this should be something you want, that you hunger for, that you long for. And you take one bite today, you take one step today, but you continue to pursue these things over the course of your Christian walk. To where God's word becomes your constant companion. And prayer becomes a regular practice in all that you do. How important is prayer for us as Christians? Philippians 4.6 Don't worry about anything. But in everything. Now what is excluded from everything? Well, nothing is excluded from everything. Everything means all things. In all things, through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Our lives are made, we are shaped, we are built, not to be people who carry burdens on our own, but who when we fret, when we fear, when we worry, we come to God and give thanks for who he is and what he's already done and lift up to him those things that we're concerned about in, in hope and trust that he will work them out for our good and his glory. You see, prayer is, is, is not just something where you're doing a ritual, you're saying the right words. It's, I, I, there are certain practices that we could fall into where we think because we say the right thing or we say it the right number of times that we've prayed and we've done a great time. And, and it can be good. I want you to hear that it can be good to pray the same thing. It can be good to pray the same time of day. But also know that God wants to hear the very cries of your heart expressed from the depths of your soul and this is what will give you the real abundant life that you seek 
First Thessalonians 5.17 commands us. This is a command, not a, not a recommendation, not a please consider this. This is a command from the Apostle Paul to the church. And he says, pray constantly. And you might go, well, wait a minute. How do I do that? Don't I have to think about other things or math? Look, look constant prayer is not always saying a prayer it is constantly having an attitude of wanting to share with your savior the things that are on your heart and mind if you would pick up your phone and text a friend something you should consider kneeling setting apart a moment and praying to your savior about that same thing rejoicing if it's good lamenting if it's bad trusting if it's anxiety inducing but constantly praying so I want to encourage you today as we wrap up a little early, actually. Some of you are like, yes, we'll beat the Methodists to lunch or something. Um, you won't. Don't worry. I'll stretch it out. We'll still go long. Um, here, here's the deal. The Christian. How, how, how are you going to be a Christian? How are you supposed to be a Christian? What is the Christian life about? How can you be the kind of person living the kind of life that Jesus died and rose again for? Well, we must first understand that we are disciples, that we are to be learning, that, that he is to be Lord of our life and we seek purity. And all of this leads us to a place where we hunger and thirst for his presence. And we understand the only place we find the presence of our Savior today in a way that will, will change us from the inside out and give us the hope and the, the joy that we long for is through times of devotion and prayer. And if you are neglecting God's word, you will not find what he has to offer. If you are not praying, you are carrying anxieties and burdens alone that are not yours to carry and you are missing out on peace and joy and provision that he longs to give you if you would simply spend some time talking with him. So today's encouragement. Number one, read the Bible regularly. Read the Bible regularly. Now, that sounds like a no-brainer, right? But it's a difficult thing, isn't it? All of us who have been working on having a devotional life for any amount of time know that something always comes up. Something always seems to happen, which is why when Jesus wanted to, to teach people, you know what he did? He took them out in the middle of nowhere. They sat on the top of a hill, and then he started teaching. You got to get in a place where you have time and space to learn from your Savior, which means that Bible reading, participating in, in the scriptures is not something you can just do in the middle of something else. But you've got to begin to set apart times and places to get into God's word. And then there are really simple things you should do. And, and you can read them up there, right? Number one, pick a readable Bible translation. I, I got to tell you, some of you, and I, I don't have anything against the King James Version of the Bible, but some of you love the King James Version of the Bible. And you pick it up and you don't know a thing that it says. You will read the words, you can read the words out loud and go, da, 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 thee, thou, thus. And then you get to the end of it and go, I don't have a clue what I just read, but I know I read God's word. That's worthless. What you need to understand about God's word is if you wanted to read the God's word, or read God's word in its original form, do you know what you would need to read? 
Koine Greek. Anybody want to raise your hand? How many of us read Koine Greek fluently? I don't. I'm just raising my hand as an example. It's hard to read Greek. I, anyway, I'm not good at foreign language in any way. Uh, you know, I'm like, donde hasta el baño? And I feel really good about my Spanish. And so every Bible you will pick up here in the United States, if it isn't Koine Greek or Hebrew, you are reading a translation from the original language into English. And so every translation that was done faithfully by men and women who are great scholars of Greek and Hebrew and Aramaic is worth picking up and reading. Now, if you read the King James Version and you get it, wonderful. But if you're trying to use the, the, the Bible that grandma gave you when you got baptized, and that's the, the, the Bible you're trying to read on a daily basis, stop it. Pick up a Bible that you can read and you understand. And I got to tell you, I, I think I still have a couple copies of, of the Christian Standard Bible, a, a study Bible that has study notes that can help you to understand what you've read from a readable translation. And I, I, would, I would give it to you, and I, I wouldn't even ask you to like me in return. I, 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 if you need a Bible and you need a readable translation, let me know and I'll get it in your hands. Second thing you can do is use the Bible app. This can be good or it can be terrible. Because you know what happens when you're reading on the Bible app? You get a notification, don't you? Somebody texts you, right? You're just starting God's word. John three sixteen. for God so loved the... Oh, I, I better reply. An hour and a half later, you, for God so loved the... Right? Oh, okay. Candy crush. You know, it's, it's, I, I got to make the event. Your phone can be a great tool, but if it's not set up properly you will not read God's, bio, uh, God's word faithfully. So it can be a great tool. I read, actually, I read my chronological Bible reading for the year. I'm doing through the Bible app. You know what I can also do when I'm mowing? I can listen to it. That's God's word getting into my heart and mind. But it also can be detrimental. You don't know where to start reading the Bible? Don't do the open page, hit a finger, then Hosea, son of Elah, organized a conspiracy against Pekah, son of Ramallah. He attacked him, killed him, and became king in his place in the 20th year of Jotham, son of Uzziah. Thus saith the Lord. Thank you, Lord, for this word today in my heart and mind. <laughs> right? Don't do that. You want to know where to start? Encourage you a couple places. You can read Psalms. You can read Proverbs. But when we talk about sitting at the feet of our Savior... One of the things you can do, one of the places you can start is go to any of the Gospels, have a red letter Bible, and start focusing on the words of Jesus. See what he has to say. Start at the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Chew on that for an hour and see what God would lay on your heart and teach you. Read the Bible chronologically. There's some great means to do that. Uh, read one Old Testament chapter, one New Testament chapter, one chapter from the Psalms, one chapter from Proverbs. That's the O-N-P-P. And it, that's not like you down with O-P-P. It's O-N-P-P. It's a different thing altogether. So those of you who were Xers, don't get confused. Read your Bible. Stop making excuses for not reading your Bible. 
I mean, that's what it boils down to. Stop making excuses for not reading your Bible and find a way to get God's word into your eye holes or your ear holes on a daily basis. Start somewhere where you are comfortable and then allow God to take you to new and different places. Next, after you make the commitment to read the Bible regularly, in, in, in any quantity, if you don't read the Bible at all, one verse a day is better than none at all. Then two, four, six, eight chapters, two chapters, whole sections. Start with something, but also pray more often. I want to encourage you, if you pray before your meals, wonderful. Maybe get rid of the rote prayer, the one that you just say because you think it makes you not choke on your food or it makes you not get fat from the calories or whatever. I don't you know that doesn't work, right? You can't pray away calories. You can try, but it doesn't work. The rote prayers are a good, or a fine start, but, but maybe even when you pray for a meal, take a second, and instead of just saying, bless this food, how about pray for one need that you're aware of? Everybody else at the table will get frustrated, but they can suck it up and agree in prayer with you because they need to spend more time in prayer too. Now, don't pray for every missionary you know, but maybe pray for one. But to pray more often, it shouldn't be just meals, but you need to set time aside. You, you need to choose some time where you're going to pray. And it needs to be places where you are distraction-free, which means in, in the world we live in today, you're going to have to turn things off, mute them, unplug them, put them aside, stick them in the microwave. Don't turn it on, but, you know, stick them in there. Be distraction-free. Or, and, when you think about it, or promise someone that you will, pray right then and there. You, you want to practice praying more? When you think, when you get upset about something, pray right there. When, when you're talking to someone and you say, well, I'll pray for you, pray for them right there. Begin to make prayer a regular part of your life. That, that it should be expected that we as believers should not just talk about the Steelers and work and our cars and the house and the pets and our kids, but that we would actually stop and pray together. I, I can't tell you how thrilled I would be. And if you want to really want to give me the best pastor appreciation gift uh, to, to just over the next year, I'd love to just see you, you guys sharing things and just praying right where you're at more often. To, to just that we would be a people of prayer where when we, we, we complain about the day, instead of it ending with the complaint, we gather together and two or three of us and go, well, let's pray about that because that is terrible. You didn't deserve that. That we would begin to practice prayer when we think about it, when we promise it. As circumstances warrant, I have a friend, every time they hear a siren, you know what they do? They pray. They don't even know the person that the siren's for or what it's about. But they will stop and they will pray. And they will ask God to bless, to protect, to give wisdom to those who are caring for those in need. And maybe even throw in a couple other things. Pray when you're worried. And some of you might like, well, it doesn't work. I know. That's when you need to pray more. That when you, when you worry, you pray. And then when the prayer doesn't work and you're still worrying, you pray. And then when you're still worrying, after you pray, you pray. And ultimately, you will come to a place where you really do 
submit those things to God and peace comes on you. And that relationship will bear fruit in ways you never imagined. And then when you are in awe, pray. A lot of us probably need a lot more awe in our life. Uh, Every once in a while, I'll be in Washington, go to Sam's Club, go to the gas station. Kind of weird that in my mind, one of the best views in Washington is from the gas station at Sam's Club. And you look west from there. And when the sun is setting from the gas station at Sam's Club, it can be beautiful. And when that happens and the moment hits just right, that's when it's time to stop and say, thank you, God. Thank you for the beautiful sunrise. Thank you that gas is cheaper at Sam's Club. Thank you, God, for a car that runs. I am in awe of your goodness and grace. That when you appreciate something, take a moment and thank God for it. So read the Bible regularly. Pray more often. Brothers and sisters, today, I want to encourage you to make a plan to read your Bible. Whether it's the red letters, the the Old Testament and New Testament Psalms and Proverbs, it's going to be your Bible app. You need a readable translation. Get rid of all the hindrances in your life and make a plan to read your Bible more often. And change your perspective. It's not a duty to read a book. It is an opportunity to sit at your master's feet and learn. And then encourage you to to pursue spending ever more time in prayer. Not that you would do nothing else, but that prayer becomes something that you do in the midst of everything else. That should be our goal. But it's going to have to start with some set apart time where we get along with God. And, And we might pray the Lord's Prayer. Or use it as a framework for our prayer time. We might pray acts, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. Where we worship God. We confess our sins. We thank him for the things he's done. And then we pray for other people. We might use prayer, a praise acronym. And I don't even remember that one. So, um, but, but you know, you, 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 you might use a tool. We'll talk more about tools you can use in the coming weeks as well. But pray. Spend time with God in prayer. Because the Christian has a regular devotional time and is developing in their prayer life. That should be an expectation for all of us because it's the expectation that Jesus has for us as his disciples. Sit at his feet, spend time doing what he did, and you will grow as a believer.